0: Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 39, 20 through 48. This is found on page 33 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. Good to be with you. My name's Nathan, if I haven't met you yet. It's good to be with you uh, again here at the Brookside Campus. Uh, going to hang out with you a couple times this fall. Really grateful for that opportunity, so thanks for uh, being here uh, with me. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the story from God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would speak uh, through your word. God, I pray that you would take uh, these things and show us what we need. God, for those of us who need comfort, I pray that your word would bring comfort. For those who need conviction, repentance, God, I pray that you would bring that as well. And God, that you would show us more of who we are um, and uh, more of who we are in you, Jesus. Help us to d- depend on you and do this work we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be uh, independent on my own, free. Like, I, I grew up in a good home and all of that, but I just, I couldn't wait to, I couldn't wait to grow up. I was always looking for the the next thing, the next stage. Like, couldn't wait to get my driver's license and then to, you know, get my first job, go off to college, get married. Like, I just, I wanted to to be free, to be, to be independent. And some of you, like, probably recognize that. Like, even now, like, there's still this sort of elusive, like, at some point it's going to happen, right? There's going to be enough control, enough freedom, enough power. Like for some of us, like it's, you know, if, if I get married or if I have kids or if my kids get a little bit older or if I get that next job promotion or, or save up just a little bit more, like it's always sort of out there that one day I'm, I'm going to be free. If I work hard enough, we think independence is somewhere down the road. But what if, what if I told you that that's actually the opposite of the life that we were created for. That is not actually independence that we're chasing after, or at least not that we think it is. That actually, what we need most is dependence. I know it sounds it sounds crazy. Hear me out, okay? Uh, but I like I remember finally being independent, like getting that little taste. I mean, Kelly and I, uh, in a matter of just a couple of months, we, we graduated from college, got married, moved, started new jobs, and I started seminary, all within like, like three months. And we were finally independent, on our own. And I can remember sitting down to work on our first budget together, and it was like, oh, Good. We're on our own. Like it, like it wasn't all of us cracked up to be. And, and oftentimes throughout the years, I've experienced that. And even, even now, like it's 17 years later, okay, we've, we've learned a few things along the way. And yet, I don't know if I've ever felt more out of my own depth. Like, the pressures keep mounting, right? The, the stakes keep getting higher. Uh, the, the, the fears, the worries, the concerns, the kids get old. I mean, all those kind of things. Like, it keeps pressing down. And like, like transparently, I, th- I felt more anxiety the last few months than I can ever remember feeling in my whole life, truthfully. Like, the pressures are, they're, they're always there. And, and yet, this time I got it. It's going to be fine. Like, I can do this on my own. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to somehow figure out my own way to chart my own course and to make it work. Anybody else like that? Maybe, maybe like you, you look at the struggles in your family or your closest relationships. You look, look at the things going on at work or at school or in your finances, your health, or, or just even internally, like your own sense of loneliness or depression. And sometimes... Those things feel like a prison sentence you don't deserve. How are you possibly going to make it? I mean, just look at Joseph. This guy? Like, everything in this story—this is our third week with Joseph. We've got two more after this. Everything in this guy's life to this point has been terrible and just getting worse, right? He's in prison now when this story opens. It's the opposite of independent living. And yet he's flourishing. Like, what, is, what does he know that I don't know? Well, I think, it's, I think it's this. Joseph knows life will put you into prison, but only dependence can set you free. I mean, life is going to do that. Something's going to happen, some hardship, some, some challenge that you face, and you're going to want to fix it on your own. You want, you're going to want to overcome it by yourself, And yet it's only dependence that can truly set us free. And if that's true, if the dependent life is the best life, how do we do it? What does it look like? I think there are four things we learn this morning from this story. If you haven't already, turn to to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Again, we're right in the middle of, of the Joseph narratives here, these last several chapters of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for Ever, right? Um, We are going to finish it, just two more weeks after today. Uh, But like, you get to Genesis 40, and like suffering, we know this, like suffering is always terrible, right? We hate it. Suffering for doing the right thing? Does it get much worse than that? Because if you were here last week, like Joseph, he does the right thing. He says no to temptation. He keeps his integrity. Good for you, Joseph. And he's thrown into jail for it. And time after time, like, things just keep getting worse. I mean, he was 17 years old when his brothers, his own brothers, sold him into slavery. And between his time as a slave and his time in jail, it'll be 13 years. Of course, Joseph, at this point, he doesn't know it's only only 13, right? For all he knows, it could be the rest of his life. This is a long time. And just imagine what that would be like. I think about, I mean, these stories like this, sadly, are common, but I think of, of, of David Robinson, right? The guy in Missouri uh, who was recently released after 17 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. 17 years. You don't get that back, right? And for Joseph, it'll be, it'll be 13. And, and, he, and yet, there's, like, there's always a little bit of hope along the side of his story. So if, even, if you even skip back a little bit into chapter 39, where we ended last week, right? 39.21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph all right, that's good, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then skip down to verse 22, Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And this is like the constant refrain throughout Joseph's life, is that God is with him. But think about that. If God is with you, shouldn't, shouldn't Joseph's life be getting easier? Like, if God is actually there with him, like, like shouldn't things be, be simpler? I mean, that's often how we think, isn't it? Like, if, if God is with me, my life should be comfortable. It should be easy. All my dreams should come true, right? Everything I, I want out of life, if God is with me, and yet for Joseph, everything just keeps getting worse. And here's the thing, even when God is with you, I mean, there will be times when life throws you in what feels like prison. It's not fair. You don't have to like it. But here's the first thing we learned. Dependence prepares for it. Dependence anticipates hardship. Because nowhere in this story do you get the idea that Joseph is like surprised, shocked, I mean disappointed, absolutely. But it doesn't, it doesn't completely throw him off guard. Dependence anticipates the hardship. It's prepared for when it comes. And if we learned anything from Genesis, like these months that we've had, it's that when we rebelled against God in the garden, everything fell apart. And yet for many of us, maybe not for all of us, but for many of us, particularly the the way we live within our own culture, like we anticipate actually the exact opposite, don't we? We actually expect life to be comfortable. Easy. We expect that if we work hard, things are going to go our way, that eventually there's a happy ending at the end of our stories. Like, that's, that is our expectation. Like, like Kelly and I, at age 22, you know, when we sat down to do that first budget together, we actually are surprised when it's hard. And if that's your expectation, that eventually all my dreams are going to come true, why would you ever learn to depend on God? Like, what do you, what do you need him for? But dependence prepares for it. We're, we're out of practice, I think, you and I, when it comes to dependence. I think about uh, the civil rights activists in the 1960s. Maybe you've, you've seen some of these stories, you've read some of them, right? There's a picture of it, but they would actually practice the protests beforehand. Did you know this? Many of them would. Uh, Because it's a non-violent protest, right? And that was a a huge commitment of those early civil civil rights protesters. And so they would actually practice. They would gather together. They would do these sit-ins. They would bring in people from outside to taunt them, to abuse them, to do all kinds of terrible things to them. And they would just take it as practice so that when they got out there and it truly was vicious against them, like they knew what to expect. They knew how to endure. They were able to sit through it. And because they were anticipating it, it changed everything. And yet, I practice comfort every chance I get. I practice pleasure. I, I practice my own sense of freedom or control. And it's great until it isn't. Until something throws a wrench into my plans. And then I'm just completely unprepared. And I think so often what happens in those moments, for many of us, if that's our expectations, we actually move further from God. Like Joseph moves closer to him. Like you could see that happening in the story that God is with him and he presses into God. But you and I, I mean, again, if we're, if we're being truthful here, like when, when things don't go my way, we quickly just assume, well, apparently God's not real. I mean, this didn't happen exactly like I want it to. My life isn't quite as easy or as comfortable, so God obviously doesn't care about me. He clearly doesn't have my best interests at heart. And I think for many of us, we think God is only worth depending on if he buys us off with comfort. Then I'll trust you, God, as long as you give me everything I want, which is not Dependence. Listen, here's the deal. Suffering is bad. We know that. You don't have to like it, right? None of us want, I'm sure Joseph didn't like it, but do you know what's worse than a suffering life? A life that doesn't depend on God. That's actually much worse. A life that says, I got this, I can do it on my own. A life of independence is way worse. And you'll be unprepared. And so how are are you going to practice dependence I mean, what's, what's your 1960s lunch counter, right? Like those activists. I think a handful of things for me that, that help me practice dependence. One is just simply asking for help from time to time. I hate doing that. It's just so against my personality, but asking for help. saying I don't have what it takes. Uh, another one is to just deny yourself occasionally, to, to let yourself feel your own need. Or another probably most, most important for me in my own life is just daily Daily having time where I sit down with God and I I say, I just, I don't have what it takes. I mean, that's what prayer is, right? Fundamentally at the very baseline is saying to God, I I cannot live my life unless you intervene. And to do that day after day helps us practice dependence because life is gonna throw you into some sort of prison. Only dependence can set you free. Okay, go back to, to Joseph here, the story. Check out his new life, you know. Last week it was Potiphar's house, looked great for about five minutes. Now he's in jail. And so in chapter 40, uh, we've got two chapters here that we're going to try to work through. They're long chapters, they're a lot about these dreams that are happening in there, and we're going to do our best to, to explain what's happening. Uh, but at the very beginning, right away in chapter 40, he's in jail, and we're introduced to two, like, side characters, right? You've got the, the cupbearer and the baker, people who work for Pharaoh. And they've been thrown into prison. We don't, we don't know why exactly, but they're, they're there as well. And, and it, it seems like some time has passed. They've been in jail together, at least for a little while. And then verse six, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked, sit down, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Okay, so just think, think about this for a second, because like, like Joseph's story began with some pretty incredible dreams. Like he'd had dreams, dreams about how his life was gonna be very different than what it is right now, right? And all those dreams have done for him have led to this terrible, terrible place, this, this place of absolute darkness for him. I mean, I, so I feel like even just this moment of hearing about these, I had to pour just a little bit of salt like on this wound. Yeah, I had dreams once too, right? And look where they've led me. And yet, look, look how he responds, right? Because if it were me in this moment, I'd be having the pity party of a lifetime. Yeah, I had, a decade ago, I had dreams too. But when Joseph sees these fellow prisoners, I mean, he's like, wow, guys, you look really sad today. Tell me about that. Like, Can I help? Like, why the long face? Uh... Because we're in prison, just like you, Bozo. I mean, it's, it's sort of like ridiculous. Like, why are you guys sad? Oh, because we're in jail. Like, what, what is wrong with you, Joseph, right? But, like, Joseph, he cares. Like, he, he wants to help. I'm embarrassed to admit this, uh, but I picture him a little bit like this guy uh, from the Marvel movies, Korg. Anybody else? Uh-huh. Some, like, half of you leaned in. The other half are like, I need to find a new church. So sorry about that. I've got a middle schooler. We've been living Marvel lately. But I, but I love this, like, this character. He's like one of my favorites. So he, he kind of first appears in Thor Ragnarok. Sorry, we're going to dive really deep into the nerdery. Um, but, like, when, when Thor is thrown into prison, and, and, like, prison is like, it's like gladiator awful. It's a terrible, terrible place. And Korg is one of the fellow prisoners. And he is like the welcome wagon. Like, if you've seen it, like, he's the most friendly, the happiest. Like, he just is jovial. He just wants a new friend. Like, he does anything you can to to help. And as a result, like, you cannot watch those movies without loving this guy, right? That's, that's Joseph. Which I know, I just ruined Joseph for many of you. Um, But I I cannot read this story without noticing that no matter what, like, no matter the circumstance, no matter how bad it gets, Joseph is going to work his hardest, and he's going to love his best. Every one of these narratives— It doesn't matter what's going on around him. It doesn't matter how miserable his circumstances, he's gonna work his hardest and he's gonna love his best. And that really leads us to that second thing of what what this dependent life looked like. Dependence stays faithful in obscurity. He stays faithful even there. Like life is a mess. It's It's the only way to freedom, but those who are dependent on God stay faithful in obscurity. And I think for many of us, the places that we struggle the most is the place that we spend the majority of our time, right? It's our work. Work is hard sometimes. Whether you get paid for it or, or not, whether it's in the home, work, kids, your work is your school oftentimes, like all of that, like sometimes work feels like a prison. Surprised nobody Amen on that one. I guess we don't do that here. Um, well, Joseph's job is literally a prison. Like do you think he woke up thinking, oh man, I just can't wait to hit it today, right? And the, real, like, the reality is you might hate your job Some of us do. Maybe you don't feel called to it. Maybe you're underappreciated, unseen, and if you're honest, you really just want to phone it in tomorrow. I don't blame you, and it may be time for you to make a change. But until you do, that's where God has put you. And if Joseph can be faithful to God here, I mean, you can be faithful to God too, right? because I seriously doubt Joseph was excited about his job. He probably never felt called to prison life. You know, when I grew up, I want to be a slave in jail. Of course not. And you, you can't read these stories, not just this one, but his entire narrative without recognizing, like, Joseph knows who it is he's serving. He knows who it is that he's working for. And he brings his very best to work every single day. And as a result, all of the side characters, almost without exception in these stories, all recognize that there is something different about Joseph. Many of them even declare that this, like, God is, is here with him, in him, doing this work through him. Everyone sees God. They know that he's different. And so, like, do your kids see it? But your classmates, your customers, coworkers. I mean, Joseph doesn't even allow his own disappointment to lessen his love for others. I mean, when I'm frustrated or disappointed, like, I just, I get more lazy and selfish, right? I, I, I want to turn inward when life feels that way. And yet Joseph does the exact opposite. He turns outward. He works his hardest. And he loves well. I mean, if I were there in the prison, and the guys came to me like, Ugh. Be like, oh, really? You had a bad dream? I don't care, right? My my brother sold me into slavery, um, but he's so compassionate. And friend, you may not like your work or school or whatever, right? But like nobody works harder than Joseph, and he says, "Why are you so sad?" I love that simple question, right? And maybe maybe that's a simple goal this week at work, at school. Like maybe you're there simply to be an encouragement to somebody else. Maybe there's somebody this week, maybe tomorrow, that you simply just need to ask, like, why are you so sad today? And take an opportunity to listen and to care. There's no place that God can't use you. And in your dependence, you can be faithful to him even in the miserable and the unseen. And only dependence can set you free. And if you want help working together on what that looks like, right, to integrate our faith and our work and how we do this, I know we mentioned it last week, but I just want to encourage you again. Our Common Good Conference coming up here October 5th. It's a a great opportunity. It's hosted by Made to Flourish, our sister organization. It's going to be uh, live and in person at our Olathe campus, broadcast nationally across the country. uh, But we get to participate in that together. I hope that you'll come, be a part of that with us. Uh, sign up for it's going to be really really outstanding to press in more to this idea of a church for monday not just for sunday well again so joseph like he anticipates hardship okay and and when it comes he stays faithful and and really the whole thing hinges on his willingness to ask that question why are you so sad like that's the trajectory now for for all of that but yet we're not we're not to the good part yet first it's going to get worse especially for the baker it's really bad for that guy. Uh, so like, so I mean, think about it. So, you know, Joseph asks, well, I mean, tell me your dream, right? And so God, in all the mystery that this is, like God is speaking to them through their dreams and has, has allowed Joseph to be part of that interpretation process. And so, first of all, like the cupbearer goes first, and it's great. Like you're gonna, Pharaoh, he's gonna want you back. Things are gonna be fine. Like they're high-fiving around the jail. Like it's a celebration. Uh, and, and then, so the, the, the baker is like, ooh, do me, do me, do me. Let me go next. And so Joseph, he listens to his dream and then basically responds with something like, uh, that might be the worst dream I've ever heard in my, in my life. Kind of reminds me of a, a dream my daughter had a couple years ago. Uh, she dreamed that she was in bed uh, and at her doorway was a giant, like three foot tall spider, like as tall as her. And it was just, it was just staring there, uh, like staring at her. And every time she would call for help, The spider would look her dead in the eyes and go, shh, shh, shh. (laughs) It's awful, awful. (laughs) This is worse. Because this one actually comes true. Verse 19. Here's what your dream means Hey, Baker, hey, buddy. Sorry about this. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and you will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And it all happens, just as Joseph says. But as the the cupbearer is leaving prison, right, he gets the good side of the story. And and as he's leaving, Joseph, he pleads with the cupbearer, just remember me. Like, that's all you got to do, buddy. Just remember me to Pharaoh. Look at verse 14. He says, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this place for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and there also I have done nothing but they should put me into the pit. Please. Like one simple job, buddy. But verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him you just can't get a break. Like every time you think maybe it's going to get better, life just kicks somewhere it counts. And it had to feel in this moment, it had to feel like it wasn't just the cupbearer who forgot. It had to feel like God forgot. Because again, place yourself there with Joseph. It's like, I mean, if I were Joseph, I'd be like, God, I know you can set the innocent free. Like I literally just watched you do that. I know you can get the captives out of here. I know, like you used me to interpret the dream to do this for him. Like I know that you can. And sometimes like friends, like this is where life can be the hardest because you, you, you could say like, God, I know you answer prayer. I know you do. I believe that. I know, I know that you care about me. And yet you look around and it's like, why, why is it that this person always gets the breaks? Why, why, does it, why does it seem like they never have to struggle like I do? I mean, for Joe's, like, do you like the cupbearer more? Is that what it is? Like, did, did he do, like, just think about what this would be like for them. God, why don't you ever do that for me? And we know very little of what happens in the meantime. It takes two more years. Two years, it's already been 11. Why is God so unbelievably slow? I don't know. But I do know this, and this is a hard one, but de- dependence, this is the third thing, dependence waits on God's timing. In part because what choice do we have? Dependence waits on God's timing. And I know for many of us, the what of the Christian life is hard enough. The when sometimes is just killer. Because it just feels like we wait and we wait and we wait. And while those two years for Joseph must have felt like forever, and frankly, I mean, he doesn't know that it's only going to be two years, right? He has no idea. And even even we reading this story can know. Okay, well the two years that's that's because Joseph, Pharaoh hadn't had the dream yet, and Joseph is going to have to interpret Pharaoh's dream to get that. So he has to wait. So we, we can understand a little bit that God is what God is doing a little bit. And you and I we often have no idea what God is doing, only that it's taking forever, and we often have no idea how long we're going to wait. And some of us are going to die waiting. And yet so often I forget this. I think it's common for us in our culture. We, we, we tend to forget that the hope of the Christian life isn't simply for today. We forget that, right? Because we live in the moment. Everything is about today. And yes, there are benefits today, right? There should be hope and purpose and meaning in the midst of our suffering. There, there can be joy in those moments. But even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, if that's it, that's the, the sum total of our hope, if it's just for today, we are the most foolish people on the planet. We are to be pitied above anybody else. Friends, that is not our story. Our story is of a God who defeats death, which means he is not limited by now. Like his time frame doesn't have to work the same way as ours, and he promises to make all things new. And we don't know how long we're going to wait, but we do know that it's going to be worth it. That's our story, which leads to the last thing dependence tells. A better story. It may not be very fun along the way, but it tells a better story. Finally, finally it starts to get good, okay? Finally chapter 41, and there's a ton that happens here. We're going to run through it really, really fast, but like in chapter 41, like it's amazing. Like things are, it's starting to make sense for Joseph because Pharaoh finally has a dream, right? And he he can't figure it out, and he's asked all the religious gurus all across Egypt to help him. None of them can even touch it, and it, all of a sudden, I mean, it's almost kind of comical the way, like, it dawns on the, on the cupbearer, like, it jogs his memory. Oh, yeah, Joseph. Ooh, whoops, right? So finally, the cupbearer says, hey, yeah, by the way, there's this guy I should have told you two years ago. His name's Joseph, and so Pharaoh calls Joseph in, and he tells him his dream. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing scene, right? He tells him this long dream. Uh, and it's, it, again, it's sort of God's way of, of warning Joseph what's going to happen so that, that, that they can do something about it. And essentially, the dream is like that there's going to be seven great years followed by seven terrible years. It's going to be seven years of feast followed by seven years of famine. And so even in that moment, I mean, Joseph, he's just brilliant. He like grabs onto this and he says, well, here's what we can do. He he tells Pharaoh, this is what your dream means. Here's what we can do. We can can save up for these seven good years. We can put some aside. And and then when it gets to the terrible years, we'll we'll be okay. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And then it, it all happens just as Joseph predicted. And he's elevated to number two in power across all of Egypt. And as a result, because of this, suffering, right? The path of of slavery, the path of being rejected in Potiphar's house, the path that involved slavery or a prison for him, and the waiting. He ends up saving countless lives. Like even, even God's family, even his own nasty brothers. Next week is about forgiveness, by the way. Make sure you're there for that but he saves God's family, his chosen people, and keeps God's plan of redemption moving forward. And Joseph's life tells a better story. Ultimately, tells the story of a God who saves, and all the Egyptians around him, they see God, they see Yahweh in him, and know that he's different because Joseph was dependent. And what's so amazing about the Joseph story, many scholars point this out, that it's not just Joseph's own story that he's telling. But there, there are echoes even beforehand, right, of, of the way in which Joseph, his story, is foreshadowing a much greater Savior. Like there, there's a pattern almost being established in Genesis with Joseph's life of what God is going to one day do with Jesus. Because the similarities are, are amazing. Like like Joseph, Jesus was also favored by his father. That like Joseph, even from an early age, Jesus had promises that God was going to do something amazing through him. That like Joseph, Jesus was also faithful when tempted. And they were both mocked by their families, sold for pieces of silver, stripped of their robes, and delivered up to foreigners. Both were accused falsely. Both were thrown into prison. Both stood before rulers, and both rulers acknowledged that there was something divine there, something special. And we're not even done with Joseph's life yet. And for both Joseph and Jesus, innocent though they were, they descended into the very depths, right? But are exalted to the very highest places. And yet Jesus wouldn't just provide bread for the hungry masses. He would be the bread of life. Like he, he wouldn't just save the people from their hunger. He would save us from our sins. He wouldn't just risk his life. He would give it for our forgiveness, for our hope, for our redemption. And he wouldn't just rule as number two over Egypt. He would rule over all. And Joseph tells that story, even just a tiny bit. And you and I can too. Like we get to tell that same story. Not, maybe not like Joseph. Maybe we won't have the influence, the fame that he does. But because of Jesus, the same God who was with him, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, is with you, lives inside you, and longs to empower you to live this kind of life. And so, friends, give up on the foolish quest for independence. It's overrated. Even if you could achieve it, it's going to be hollow when you get there. Instead, let, instead, let us cast our dependence, our hope, our joy, our trust on Jesus. Anticipate the hardship. Be faithful in obscurity. Wait on God's timing and your life will also tell a better story because life is going to throw you in prison. Only dependence can set you free. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would break us of the illusion that we have that we can be in control, that we can somehow save ourselves, that we can find happiness and joy on our own without you, that, that if we only escape suffering, if we only get what we want, then our lives will be perfect. God, I pray that you would show me how foolish that is, how empty that is, and how what you promise is so much more. God, I pray that in this room you would give us comfort, Give us a renewed sense of dependence on you and would you empower us to tell the story of our redemption. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.